don't know. Maybe Porgsy could have contributed. I have no doubt Porgsy could contribute, but we have to be set up to record Porgsy. <laughs> Important thing to keep in mind. At least one of them is a really good Porg impression. Well, we should probably add that to the show at some point, too. Yes. We'll have a crossover with your Mom Mothma podcast. <laughs> Actually, having Porgsy be a guest on Mom Mothma is probably a good idea. I should keep that in mind. This week on the Play Ed podcast, we continue our month of mystery with the cooperative whodunit game Outfoxed. Welcome to the Play Ed podcast, where we explore cultivating connections through play. Hello and welcome to the Play Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Chris. And we're here today to explore creating connections through play. So, a little bit of business before we get started on today's topic. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. A five-star review makes it easier for new listeners to find us. And while we're talking about Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to us through the Podbean app. And we can be found on podcatchers like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you're having trouble finding us, add Laura and Chris to your uh, search terms along with the show title. That should help you uh, have it come up there nice and easy. And please share with your friends. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PlayEdPod and on Facebook at PlayEdPodcast. Please follow us, um, like, subscribe, do all those things, and we love fan interactions. It's always good to hear from you. It helps us come up with new show ideas and start conversations. That intro is getting long-winded. It is. Okay. Well, what are we talking about today, Laura? (laughs) Well, last week we started out our month of mystery with Clue, and we have another board game that plays with deduction today, but this one's a little different. It is called Outfoxed. It's a cooperative whodunit game. Produced by GameRight. Ah. And as the title suggests, it is a cooperative game, so players need to work together to achieve the objective. We asked our five-year-old if he could please explain for us how you play the game. Well, to be fair, I asked him how to play the game because when we said we were going to play it and I mentioned that I still hadn't had a chance to read the rules, he said, that's okay, Dad, I'll show you or I'll tell you. So he told us. So, Alexander, can you tell me how to play Outfoxed? Uh, yes. Would you? How do I play out Foxed? Uh, you, uh, if a fox wins, if a fox gets to his hole, he wins. If the chickens stop, find out who the fox is, the chickens win. And are we the chickens or the fox? The chickens! We're the chickens, and we have to stop the fox? Yes! How do we stop the fox? We have to find out who is the fox. 
Oh. By finding clues oh. and revealing suspects. So how do we find clues and reveal suspects? We roll three dice, and if we get them all the same, aim you get you get to flip. You get to see what if a clue is a green or a blank, and how you reveal suspects. If you reveal clues, you have to get three paws. And if you get onto a, a paw mark, guess what? What? You get a clue. Ooh. And if you get three eyes on all of the dice, you get to reveal cards, which are out of the board. Okay. They are on the side. So the dice have little icons on them instead of numbers? No, no, big icons. Oh, big icons. Big icons on the dice. All right, I'll show you what size they are. They are about the size of the chains. Oh, I see. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you very much. So with that as context... That was how I was I had the gameplay described to me, and we sat down and played it, and it's a lot of fun, and yeah, that's a pretty accurate summary of, of how you play the game. Mm-hmm. So we ended up playing several rounds, like several full games. It, it plays pretty quickly. Uh, we played several full games this mm-hmm. weekend, and everybody had yeah. a good time, even when I completely screwed up the game. <laughs> yes. So the cards, there, there are two sets of cards. There are suspect cards and thief cards, and one thief card is drawn in advance secretly and placed within a, a plastic box um, that allows you to compare the clues to the, uh, there are some colored dots printed on the thief card in order to uncover things. The suspect cards are laid around the board. Well, the suspect cards have illustrations, very, very charming illustrations of foxes, um, vixens, and I don't know what boy foxes are called, but... Fox. Just foxes and vixens. And as you reveal suspects, you flip those cards over, and, you know, some are wearing top hats, and some are wearing red plaid scarves, and some are wearing necklaces of pearls, and some are carrying pocket watches. And some appear to be wearing pince-nez, little old-fashioned nose-pincher glasses without temples, uh, the arm that goes over the ear. Some have monocles. But back to the pince-nez. So at one point, we're playing through the game, and the kids turn up a clue, because they decided to search for clues rather than reveal more suspects on their turns, because that means you get to move your little deer stalker cap token around the board, and talk about charming illustrations. So they're moving around, they find this clue, and it's a pair of glasses. They're kind of old-fashioned, wire-rim, thin-frame John Lennon glasses, basically. But they've got temples, so they're clearly glasses, not pince-nez. So I'm like, oh, well, all of these fox suspects are wearing pince-nez. It can't possibly be these. So we eliminate them, and we keep playing, and all of a sudden we end up with no suspects on the board. At which point I realized perhaps I was overzealous in understanding the precision of the illustrations. 
And I sorted through all of the suspect cards, and sure enough, there are no pince-nez. And I sorted through all the clue tokens, and there are no pince-nez, just the glasses. So my children giggled that Dad made such a an error, and then patted me on the shoulder to comfort me, that it would be okay, we could play another game, and maybe it's because the fox's fur hides the temples, which actually works for all but, I believe, two of the illustrations. Um, so, yeah, um, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Did I mention that? Yeah, so the... Game components, as we have suggested, are pretty simple. You've got the board. The board has a track that the fox must follow on the way to its hole. And so the fox has stolen a pie and is trying to get back to the fox hole in order to eat the pie and enjoy it. And in the meantime, your team of chickens is having to search for clues to figure out which fox did it. And they have free movement of the whole board according to uh, the dice as they roll them. Whereas the fox must follow a specific path. And when your dice don't come up the way you want, the fox gets to move. You have, But only if the dice don't come up the way you want. And that's actually one of the key balancing elements of the game that I didn't understand initially. I had to play through a whole game to get. And then it really clicked and I was like, ooh, that is a brilliant, brilliant little... Um, aspect of the game. You have four tokens for your players, so it does accommodate up to four players. Um, they are very cute. They look like li- like little Sherlock Holmes deerstalker caps. Um, there is three pair of three dice, and the fox token is actually like an inch and a half tall. Yes. Whereas the the caps are like a half an inch tall. So even visually. There's, it's very easy even for the youngest children or the least observant player. Some <laughs> of our some of our kids are not very observant to distinguish between who is the fox and where is he on the board versus where are all of the players. All of the players, and actually the fox could be he or she. While the token has a top hat, I believe. Yeah. Um, several of the suspects are vixens, female foxes. Um, and so it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there for, um, you know, I don't even know where I was going with that. Never mind. I'll shut up and drink coffee. All right. So you've got three dice. The dice have different markings on them. Some of them are blue eye symbols. Some of them are green paw symbols. The paw symbols, when they all come up, allow you, if you have declared that you wish to, search for clues, allow you to move as many spaces as you have paws face up. I want to step back there for a second, because when you explained it to me that way, when we were sitting down to play over the weekend, I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. So you have to start with your first action when it's your turn is to declare whether you're going to reveal suspects or search for clues. Then you roll the dice, and depending on what icons come up on the dice... Either you get to do the thing you said you were, or the the fox gets to move. And so that's the context for the icons on the dice. It's not just, you you don't just take whatever the dice turn up. You have to declare your your intention 
before you roll the dice. So and if I you- say choose suspects, or if I... It, if I if I want to reveal suspects, then you need to get the eye symbols, and I need th- therefore I need the dice to turn up the eye symbols. If they turn up paw prints, then I need to move. Let the fox move. However, you get three tries to get the selection of dice you want. So in that sense, it works a little like King of Tokyo, where you're trying to get matching icons. Correct. Okay. Um, and so if you if I roll and I get, you know, two eyes and one set of paw prints and I had declared I wanted to reveal suspects, I get two more tries to get that third die to roll up eyes so that I have the match that allows me to do the action that I declared I wanted to do. And if instead you want to reveal clues, then you need to get paw prints, either one or two, in order to get your move your toe have have move points for your token to move around the board. But if you don't get a full match, all three dice with the same kind of token, either paw prints or the eyes, matching what you declared as your intent, that's when the fox gets to move. It sounds a lot more complicated trying to explain it in the abstract than it actually is in play. And the fact that our five-year-old can easily play this game shows you that as complicated as it sounds when you're trying to just work through... Once you get the actions, gameplay moves very fast. He was my wingman those first couple of of games I played, and it was fantastic having my five-year-old guide me through how to play a Mm -hmm. game. Uh, Very humbling and very delightfully enjoyable. Yes. So, as we mentioned, two kinds of cards. You have your thief cards. That's the ones that you place within the uh, plastic... One of them. One of them within the plastic thing. That is reminiscent of in Clue when you have the uh, little envelope that has... Yes, the, the case file. The case file. Now, around the board, you have suspect cards. Those are the potential foxes that might be your suspect. And each of them, as we noted, has illustrations with certain distinguishing features. The last item that you have is a stack of thicker cardboard tokens. They look a little like a speech bubble. These fit into the... Or what you would see inside of a magnifying glass. Yes. These are the sort of things. um, They are fitted inside the plastic um, device where you've placed your thief card. Well, they also look like... Paw prints, which put me in mind of Blue's Clues. They do remind me a little of that. And when you fit them into the decoder box, they fit as the central pad of a paw. Mm Mm-hmm. The fox's paw. Yes. And there's an illustration on each showing a feature. For example, the one I'm holding at the moment is a pair of white gloves. Now, you place this in the decoder, slide out a tab, and... There's a hole that will either be white or green. So there's a notch cut in the, the, the clue chit that when you open the um, covering window reveals one of the dots or the absence of a dot that's on the thief card. Um, again, kind of difficult to explain in the abstract. I wonder if there's a how to play video that we could direct our audience to. I'll look and if we've got one, I will put it in the show notes. And if not, we'll make one yes. because this is a lot of fun. Oh yeah. And it, it, it's relatively simple to learn as you heard from our five-year-old's explanation of the rules to me. Uh, we played several games in quick succession and no one was tired 
Uh, when we had more people wanting to play than we had actual players, it was very easy to form up teams. Um, and so they could discuss whether it was better to um, uh, reveal suspects or to search for clues. Uh, and there's some interactive strategy there. If everybody just goes searching for clues because they want to move their tokens around, you run out of suspects really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then the fox can get away. If you spend all your time revealing suspects, but you don't turn up clues and test them, you don't know which of those suspects stole the pie. Correct. So, back to my nice little chit with the white gloves. I place it in the decoder. If I get a reveal that there's a white space, then we now know that the suspect does not have white gloves. Very clear binary choice. So you can eliminate anyone who wearing white gloves yes so if it turns up green however then we know the suspect does have white gloves and you can eliminate any suspect without white gloves correct so i think that takes us into a very nice transition into what are the sort of skills that you can uh develop obviously it's a deductive reasoning game but i think the interesting thing with this one is that it's a different, uh, the path towards deduction is different from Clue. Yes. And the kind, uh, the opportunity for practicing deduction uh, is much more age-appropriate to young children, both thematically. I mean, it's a cute theme. You're a chicken trying to stop a fox who's stolen a pie. Mm -hmm. The stakes are much lower. The artwork is suggestive of humor. Um, you know, the, the fox is a kind of melodrama, black-hatted villain twirling his mustaches kind of thing. But, you know, you don't even have the, um, um, I'm thinking Snidely Whiplash and Dudley Do right here. And was it Nell? Nell was always being tied to the railroad tracks yeah. or something. It's, it's not even that level of, of drama and tension. It's, you know, uh, it, it's it's much lower stakes and therefore the opportunity for humor is a lot more fun. But whereas Clue, you're doing the deductions on your own. So you have to have a fairly sophisticated level of deductive reasoning to even approach playing the game effectively. This is a game that because of its cooperative table play really creates a great opportunity for young and old to work together to develop those deductive reasoning skills. And because of the way the clues are and the suspects interact through the cards and the chits, what you get is lots of opportunities to practice deduction every single time you sit down to play mm-hmm. and you can play it fast i remember clue games that would go on for hours yes yeah, so i really like the fact that this game's got a there's a clear ending point you either all win or all lose together either the fox makes it to the hole or you catch him or her right and it moves fast enough that that condition is kind of inevitable. There's not that possibility of just hopping around the board forever. Yes. That sometimes can happen with a longer Clue game. And What I always thought Clue needed was that after a certain time, players just get eliminated. Mm-hmm. The murderer just starts taking out the players. 
But I never wrote that set of variant rules up. Not a concern here. This game, we played, I think, three games within the space of an hour. Yes, easily. Um, and, and they weren't even, it wasn't intensely focused play. It was very relaxed and leisured play. It's a good casual game. Yes, very fast paced. Great for, you know, if you're looking, if you're, if, if you're a couple without kids and you want a light, fun game, go for it. If you've got young kids, it's it's very fast playing. It's very lightweight and fun. The illustrations are charming. I can't recommend this enough. Whether or not you've got young kids who you want to help develop deductive reasoning skills or you just want a light... Uh, it's even lighter than beer and pretzels. Like, I... I, I, I it would be a great date night kind of thing because it's going to get people talking, especially if you've got like kind of a double date or a group of friends. I think if you've got teenagers who aren't hyper self-conscious about being serious and dark and and mature and teenagerish, I think you've got a great game for teens to play. Again, it accommodates four players, so it's that smaller group, unlike some of the games we have where, you know, you can accommodate six, eight, ten, a dozen, more. Um, those have very different dynamics, but this is a lot of very light fun with some really important skill development going on. The one thing that I really liked was that there's two different routes to that process of elimination, that... When you have a positive identification, you can eliminate anything that doesn't have that uh, feature. When you have a negative, you can eliminate anything that does have it. Yes. And so it helps to develop that process of elimination in two different directions. And I thought that was an element that was really key. Um, I like the fact that all of the... Uh, suspects have got these overlaps of features yes that you know this one has a red scarf but doesn't have a monocle this one has a monocle but has also a pearl necklace and as you look through these different features and you start thinking through you realize you need several clues to start getting to that one that you're certain of and there's a there's an almost old-timey feel to the illustrations so there's pocket watches there's the glasses that look like pince -nay. there are monocles there are top hats it's it, umbrellas some of the foxes are carrying umbrellas like you know sort of english gentleman kind of thing yes there's there's really something very charming about it um and and i think that's a that's a, a real feature of the game mm -hmm. well, way I way too many things especially aimed at kids today are just ugly and they're brutal and there's almost a, an aesthetic that seems to hate children um, and hates anything that's charming. And so one of the things we look for when we're looking for games is what is it doing with that aesthetic? Is it creating a world that is beautiful and... Helping them to construct an ordered world and Outfox can definitely help contribute to that while having a lot of very fast playing fun and you know in a it our kids can play it by themselves as you know as you heard the five-year-old can explain the rules yes 
there was a rules clarification we encountered when we were playing. Uh, our seven-year-old was convinced that you could only the the most of the spaces um, on the board are small squares, but the clue squares are four times larger, as is the starting square. And so there was a concern about which of the little squares you were in if you were in a clue space. But they don't have that subdivision into four. It's just one large square, like inch, like inch, like a full inch square, inch and a half square, versus the the half inch squares of the of the um, smaller ones. And reading through the rules, I found one line again. There's that that that. There's that almost throwaway line in the rules that everybody glossed over. No, no, you can enter and leave any of the larger squares. Yeah. You're not limited to the square you came in from. So it doesn't use up movement points to go out a different exit, which allows you to figure if you're mainly on the hunt for clues, how do you most efficiently with the movement points you have get from the square you're in to the next one? So that you don't run the risk of the fox moving while you're trying to get to the next clue box. So you've got an element of strategic thinking that gets developed. But the nice thing is because it's a cooperative game, players can assist other players in figuring out strategy. You can have communication. And that's the other thing I love about cooperative games is that along with whatever skills are particular to the game, you're always developing group communication and teamwork as you say... What do we do together to achieve our goal? Um, we've done a lot of searching for clues. We need to reveal suspects. Can you look for suspects on your turn? Right. Um, you need to, you're looking for clues. Remember that you can do this. That will save you space in getting to your next clue. Or, hey, you've got a good route to get to a, a, searching, for clue, a uh, searching for clues spot. If you go that way, you'll probably get there with the spaces you have. Something else that I noticed it was developing. So, so it's actually worth noting that the, the, the clue tokens, the clue chits, once you turn them over and you reveal, you then place them on the board in that clue spot and you can't use that clue spot to find a new clue. You have to use other clue spaces on the board. So it's real easy to fill up the ones nearest the starting point, mm -hmm. um, which which can be frustrating if someone later decides to shift to um, searching for clues. They have to take a lot more moves to get to a clue spot. Yeah. But one of the things I noted the game really facilitates is memory work. Uh -huh. Because while you do the reveal on the clue and then you adjust the suspects accordingly, when you turn other suspects up later... The players have to remember, was that monocle a definite yes or was the monocle a definite no? So you have to build a retention throughout the game of what was the, what, what clues were revealed. And game to game, if you play several games back to back, it can be really easy as a grown-up to conflate what clues have been revealed as confirmed or um or rejected and that was a problem my kids didn't have because they haven't 
They haven't built up the memory habits of retaining all of those bits of information and trying to fit them together. And so memory work, but also how to relegate something to short-term rather than longer-term or medium-term memory. And again, that's not something you do consciously or, or, or actively. That's something you habituate yourself to doing through practice. Outfoxed allows that practice in a very, very fun, fast-playing package. I wanted to point out something that Game Right games in particular do that I love. Um, Game Right has made a no- number of games that we have that we really enjoy playing with our kids, and a lot of them are good on the, the in that they're in that very fast playing um, thing. So they're they're great games for when you've got that small block of time to fill. But one of the things that they put on all of their game boxes that I really like is that it will note in particular some of the skills development that is part of the game. So I went and checked on on the box while we were talking, and it sure enough says that cooperation and deductive reasoning are the skills developed by this game. So if you're buying game right games, they're really good about helping you to see into... They put it right on the tin. Yeah. Sometimes the actual tin. A couple of our games that have uh, collector's tin type containers. Good packaging, great production values, fantastic games. And they clearly, you know, some games, the recommended age range is a little odd. Like you get into it and it's like, hmm, that's lower. Or, wow, this game is actually simpler than the age range would suggest. And, you know, I can get my seven-year-old playing a game that's labeled 13 and up. But... What we found with Game Right is they're really dialed in on what's what, what's that appropriate age uh, starting point, for. and it's very helpful to you know the parent or teacher um, who's trying to find you know is this going to be a good fit for whatever you're trying to do of putting those those benefits right on the on the packaging. Yes. So to take it into how you keep it in the fun zone um, from our play over the weekend. What would you say are the most likely pitfalls with this game? Um, I think the... Uh, well, uh, this was one of those games where we didn't really run out of the fun zone, even when I completely screwed the game up by misreading the rules. It it provided an opportunity for uh, humor and humility and for my kids to comfort me in my distress. I was very upset <laughs> that I... I ruined their game, and, you know, they were like, no, 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 Dad, it's okay. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll play again. Um, I, I do think there are some possible pitfalls. I think the biggest one is probably if kids are concerned with winning, they want to figure out how to stop the fox, and it may not be obvious how to do that if the dice aren't coming up right. If a child is very focused on revealing suspects but keeps rolling paws. Or if they're very focused on searching for clues but but not uh, and they and they don't and they don't and they keep turning up eyes. One modification that I could recommend is with very young children skip the step of declaring your intent. The game does come with a couple of suggested rules for increasing the difficulty once everybody's comfortable with the rules as written play. Uh, One of those is have the fox move an additional space, so four spaces every time there's a failure instead of three. 
that will get the fox out of the gameplay and end the game a lot faster if people aren't turning up the dice. But I think one thing you might want to consider doing, especially with very young kids, or especially with people learning to play the game, is instead of starting with that step of declaring intent, just throwing the dice and aiming to get the um, the set of icons that you need and let the dice dictate the um, uh, the action. Um, that That's really the only opportunity. I, that and if people don't want to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's not a game where you as a player or one of the players at the table can can be a kind of Sherlock Holmes. You've got to work together. Some people need to be revealing suspects until they're all revealed. Some people need to be gathering clues. So maybe they need to focus on a quadrant of the board to gather clues in so that if later the suspect people need to shift to gathering clues, there's still some easy clue spaces to grab. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the nobody wants the fox to win, but... Uh, and in that sense, it kind of reminded me of Monster Trap. It would be very easy to misunderstand how the fox is supposed to move mm-hmm. and make the game unwinnable if you don't understand the flow of play. So making that point to understand that gameplay enough that you can have it be winnable is that starting point. The thing I was thinking from from my recollection is that the biggest risk is that since it's a cooperative game, everyone does have to work together. And yeah, you're right. You could have that, that tendency of people who just don't want to. And you also have that problem sometimes if you have too much player imbalance, you might have a player who dominates. So if you've got a, a range of kids, make sure your older ones know that their job is to help the youngers, not tell the youngers what to do. Some of that's personality type also, though. Yes. So, so as usual, know your players, be aware of their personalities, and know that when you've got that kind of imbalance, make sure that someone isn't riding roughshod over everyone. That's the only way I could really see it sort of falling apart, is if you've got someone who decides they want to play everyone's part. Well, and yeah, I mean, but that's that's a problem in any game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a problem in in yeah. role playing games. I, I I have grown up DMs in their fifties who still want to play everybody's parts, and it's like, okay, look, you go write your novel, we'll go play a game. Um, you know, and having those hard conversations with with grown men is always uncomfortable, especially when you're trying to, you know, while away a, a an, an evening with with friends, but. That's a whole nother soapbox for another issue. Yeah. Uh, I need a John McLaughlin wrong next to shoe. So, um, I think have we raved about this game enough? I, I think we have. I mean, I just recommended age range is five and up, and certainly there was nothing in our gameplay that suggested anything off about that. It seems reading is not essential because it's all, uh, all it's almost all. You 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 you'll need at least one player who can read the names of the. Uh, foxes. Yes. But other than that, it's all image-driven. And honestly, the names are almost more flavor text than anything else. There's that charming moment when you can say, Ah, it's not Belle nor Daisy. It's Belvedere who was the fox who stole the pie. (laughs) (laughs) So, I think that does definitely cover the game. 
yeah, we had a blast with this one. And if you're looking for some mystery, and yeah, this is not spooky in oh. the slightest. It's light and fun. Daddy, the fox always has the hat. Yes, yes, the little token for the fox carries the top Daddy hat. Also is that's probably the best place to end this episode. So, we hope you enjoyed today's discussion. All of the games that we've mentioned today can be found in the show notes, but now we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at playedpod at gmail.com. You can follow us and on you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at playedpod and on Facebook at playedpodcast. So, please tell us your thoughts and until next time, Thanks for listening. Have a good one. And you guys want the last word? Yes. Okay. Have a good one. Bye-bye. I don't even remember what the hell I was saying. <laughs> you were talking about if um, a fast, fun, easy game. Oh, <laughs> we have a hot mic, Robert. Um. All right. I think we need to end this recording. the The natives are restless, and I need more coffee. Yep.